Welcome to the Effect Podcast. In Sweden, no one can hear you scream. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And we have got a really exciting programme to launch our new brand. Yes, we have. Oh, yeah. Haven't we just? (laughs) Um, Now, some of you may have heard some exciting news if you've had your ears to the internet ground. We're not going to reveal exactly what it is. Uh, until uh, later on. If you're if you're listening to us first, we want to be the ones breaking this news because it's uh, that exciting. And, and before big. that, and it's big, it is big. And particularly, it's big for you, Dave, isn't it? It's really big for you. I mean, well, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not really big thing for you big. too. I mean, it's... No, it's not as big as the thing. It's not as big as my thing. But it's... Um, <laughs> it's... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, let's uh, keep it in. This is... <laughs> But it's big. No, it's, it's not uh... as big as your thing, Dave. But when they told me what it was, I immediately thought, well, there's Dave having an orgasm. <laughs> if any of you actually know what the news is that we are going to break in a little while, um, I don't get hot over that kind of thing. <laughs> I'd like to say. Well, all, um, that, all, the, all that body horror but, and wet, slippery, but, slimy stuff. But the game, uh, the game, the announcement is all going to be excellent. And we are lucky enough to have got the Free League guys on the end of the internet. And we have an interview with them, which we're going to play a little bit later on, talking all about this brand new bit of news. So, um, But before that, we've got some world of gaming, haven't we? Uh, we have. Stuff that we've been seeing on the internet, which is kind of interesting compared to some of the other developments going on for Lagan and here at uh, Effect Studios or whatever we are. Um, <laughs> you don't say, or oh, whatever we are now. We're rebranding as Effect. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on, you've got to be... be uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Be Have faith in your, in your rebrand, Matt. We, yeah. But we well, are now Effect. We are Effect, and we'll talk a bit about what that rebrand means for you guys after the first main item, which in which we're discussing fire, um, initially fire in uh, the uh, in Forbidden Lands, but it actually sort of branches out into all the other games. Seriously, all the other games. <laughs> uh, and and then we'll talk about the rebrand, and then we'll have the big interview, and then we'll go squee after the big interview for a bit, and after that we'll say goodbye. <laughs> That sounds like uh, an episode and a half. Yeah, well, let's try and keep it down to an episode's length. <sighs> well, let's get let's get on with it. Um, there's a lot to be to be discussed, and we don't want to make people wait too long for that excellent interview with uh, with Thomas and Neil. So, world of gaming, no, Matt. What did you so, want to talk um, about? Well, in the world of gaming, uh, actually, a lot of Kickstarters have started in this last week. Um, it feels a bit weird, and it makes me think that if we ever do a Kickstarter, Dave, we shouldn't do it in this last week of April, because everybody else does it then. Um, but there's a couple of interesting ones that I pulled out. Uh, our old friends uh, at Evil Hat, who make Fate, uh, have kickstarted The Fate of Cthulhu, um, which I think is particularly interesting, given the resurgence in Call of Cthulhu and of Delta Green, in the Elder Gods game that we're going to be, you know, that we've all kickstarted through, uh, through the through Call Cthulhu League, yeah. friction with, with that, there's going to be we're going to be inundated with Cthulhu. Of course, with Divius, uh-huh. Freelead's partners, of course, 
uh, kicked off their whole thing with Actung Cthulhu. So we've got Cthulhu coming out of our bloody ears. Um, <laughs> well, it's interesting because I've got a number of uh, Cthulhu books from over the years. Got my original one from back in 1980, whatever it was. I've got the one that you gave me on my wedding, as a wedding day, present. Which is, as I said, was the best wedding present. Um, I don't want to, you know, upset my wife. That, was, that was the best wedding present I got. <laughs> um, um, but I did have uh, another couple of other copies, and my younger son Dean, who is big into D and D. Uh, had started getting into uh, Call of Cthulhu. So I was delighted to be able to donate to him one of my other book copies that I'm never going to use because he's going to go and run it with his uh, mates at university. So, I mean, that's really good. Excellent. I mean, you say we've got Cthulhu coming out of our ears and we have, but it is one of the most enduring classic games of all time. I uh, think it might before. be in 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 the future when they're looking at the history of role playing. It might be the best game ever, actually. <laughs> it I might think. be. Yeah, but yes, uh, this fake Cthulhu is a kind of slightly different one. Uh, it's um, slightly a, a mashup. I feel from what I've read about it. If you, if you back it, or even if you don't back it, I think if you just go to the Kickstarter site, you can download uh, a preview um, uh, sort of starter set in PDF. Um, I haven't done that yet, but I've read about it, and it appears to be a sort of mashup of Cthulhu and the Terminator movies. In the, okay. In the future, Cthulhu has already won. He just wants to win a bit earlier by sending agents back to um, to uh, to screw up our timeline. Meanwhile, the good guys are sending agents back to defeat the Cthulhu agents and stuff like that. Um, <sighs> so it feels a little so- bit more pulpy. Um, and it's a never-ending cycle, isn't it? Though, you, so somebody sends someone back to do something, so you send somebody back to stop them. So they send somebody back to stop them. So you send somebody back to stop that person. And uh, yeah, suddenly, it's all very everyone, timey-wimey. Um, everyone's gone back in time, and nobody's actually in the future anymore. Yes, <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody. The future is empty, which is probably what Cthulhu wanted in the first place. So win for him. <laughs> so um, <hurrah. laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I, I don't know whether it's one that I'm going to be rushing to get, but um, uh, but wish him well with that one. Um, there's another Kickstarter that I wish slightly less well for reasons that will become apparent, and uh-huh. that is called the Ballad of the Pistolero. And that is a Wild West game. Now, you and I, we've already kick-started Western, and for various yep. reasons, that's delayed. We're not sure when we're going to get it. Uh, here's another one, which, if I quote from them, is uh, about the Old West. Not the Old West of the real world, but the more, but more the Old West of fiction, from the searchers to the good, the bad, and the ugly, and Red Dead Redemption. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a D100 game. It feels to me based on sort of uh, Zweihander and, and before that uh, uh, Warhammer Fantasy role-playing, the, you know, the early yeah. editions. Um, but, Which yeah, is fine. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a total... Um, uh, you know, I'm not totally against D100 games. But they do feel a little bit kind of old. But, I mean, you know, I've played a lot of them over the years. Um, and, yeah, cause it's kind of the look and feel of this, just looking at the, the, the Kickstarter, the artwork is all quite... Um, it's very very good artwork but it's all quite cartoony it seems yeah. to have quite a soft feel to it and um, so yeah I mean I think it's just just hit its pledge uh, so it's yeah, so it's been just back just a pound it's over its backed. pledges I'm looking at it now um, um, so it's yeah it's, it's succeeded so yeah well done to them 
Um, yeah, only just though. Look, it's thirty-four minutes to go. Crikey! In fact, let me let me redo that. Uh, yeah, thirty-four minutes to go. Seventy-nine backers. It's uh, backed by pound over. 30, 31, 31 pound over. Yes. Well, um, a hit is as good as a mile, or a miss is as good as a mile. So one pound is enough. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Well done to them for. Uh, for getting that. I'm not sure it's the kind of Wild West game I would want to play because I like the idea of something grittier. Yes. Um, personally. But More on that maybe later in the programme. <laughs> I may not be an entirely uh, unbiased and part- non-partisan um, reviewer. Yes. As it were. <laughs> okay. Um, now, let's move on quickly because we don't want to delay it until the new big interview comes. Um, but before that, uh, do you remember when we were we were playing um, uh, the last uh, Forbidden Lands adventure, and you guys you had the idea of setting fire to the Griffin's nest and trying Indeed. to weaken it that way? Because I, I didn't uh, want to stand in front of it and have it kill me, because I was the one who'd obviously have to go and fight the bloody thing. You were the one who'd <laughs> have to be standing in front and, and have to take all those blows, as you said. I am the tank. You actually said those words. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ban true. you from my role playing table forever for saying that. But never mind. <laughs> um, hey, look, I did play many, many years of World of Warcraft, so uh, yeah. it's, it's entirely appropriate comment from me. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, um, but but uh, we turn to the rule book to find out all the rules about fire, and I cut out a really long pause from the what what we've been out on the podcast because there are no rules about fire. Well, there are some, but I'll explain what I mean in this recording. If you listen to the last part of our Forbidden Lands actual play you will have heard our confusion when the party wanted to set fire to a griffin's nest, and we realised that the rulebooks contained very little guidance on fires and damage. In fact, a similar question had been raised in an earlier unrecorded adventure. Then, the adventurers had discovered that ghosts could be dispersed with fire and set about making fire arrows. There are no rules for fire arrows, either for their construction or for their damage. We fudged something about needing cloth and lamp oil to make the arrows, but we never actually needed to work out the damage until this adventure. In the Forbidden Lands Player's Handbook, there is a reference to being broken by fire damage. It suggests using the non-typical critical table, and a couple of very specific applications of fire damage. Well, actually one of those, the Immolate spell, isn't a fire attack as such. Let me quote from the book. You can heat up your victim's blood to the point where he literally bursts into flames. So the damage is done internally. The flames are a symptom of the damage, not the cause. Demons can have a fire attack, which uses the same mechanic as other monster attacks, rolling a number of base dice in this case between 7 and 12, for an attack which cannot be parried, but which can be dodged. Such attacks can't be pushed, so that means a low-powered 7 base dice attack has something like a 1 in 10 chance of inflicting serious damage. And with 12 base dice, the probability of being hurt increases to something like 1 in 3. That said, the victim continues to take damage every turn until putting the fire out with a move roll. 
There is also the making camp mishap, fire, wherein the campfire gets out of control. Characters must suffer an attack with five base dice. In Coriolis, the rules state, if you are in or within close range of a large fire, you will suffer attack rolls once every turn. The GM rolls the attack at your turn in the order and before you act. The size of the fire determines the number of dice on the roll, and that is up to the GM to decide, with no guidelines. Well, we could apply the guidelines from Forbidden Lands, 5 for an out-of-control campfire, 7 to 12 for a demon attack, but those aren't terribly relevant. There is an example of a wildfire in Mutant Genlab Alpha. Roll six base dice, it says, if you are caught, which, for a wildfire, seems somewhat small. And given the Coriolis characters are roughly twice as resilient as characters in the other Year Zero games, fire doesn't seem to be that big a risk in the Third Horizon. But Coriolis goes on to say, the number of dice then increases by one per turn. As soon as you suffer one or more points of damage from the fire, your clothes catch fire, and you will continue to suffer the attack rolls even if you get out of the fire itself. Putting out burning clothes demands a successful dexterity test. You or someone within close range of you may attempt the roll. Armour may be tested. And indeed, there is similar text in an as-yet-unpublished game, and at the time of writing, unannounced, which starts, A fire is measured in intensity. A typical fire has intensity 6. So, now we have a word, at least, for the attack strength of the fire. And in a similar paragraph to the one from Coriolis, it adds, As soon as a fire inflicts no damage the fire goes out by itself. I am taking this to mean as soon as no successes are rolled, rather than damage being mitigated by armour, for example. So, from clues between these games, we can pull together a set of rules for fire, and in particular, guidelines for intensity. I am thinking, for example, that your fire arrow has an intensity of 1. It rolls its normal damage, one for a bow, or two or three from crossbow bolts. Afterwards, on the target's turn, before they act, you roll another single dice. Then, and every subsequent turn. On a six, you take a point of damage and your clothes catch fire. On a one or two, it goes out. This differs from the rules as stated in Coriolis and the mystery game. I will put this down to the lamp oil. And you can put it out with a move roll too. If you take damage, your clothes catch fire. You roll two dice the next turn, then three, and so on. Get pushed into a campfire, then it's three attack dice. A room that's partially on fire has an intensity of four. And it's worth pointing out that the attack still happens even if your player says, I'm avoiding the fire. The whole room, or zone, is burning? Well, who am I to argue with Coriolis and Mutant Genlab Alpha? We'll call it Intensity 6. But remember, all these increase by one die the longer you are in it. You can justify the increase by the fire using the fuel and oxygen in the room. 
or wherever you are. You can escape the fire with move rolls, but if you take any damage on the way, it comes with you. You are the fuel now. Your clothes are on fire. Treat that with escalating dice as above. Oh, and that demon fire we mentioned at the beginning that doesn't escalate in the same way. The rules in Swedish clearly state that you take the same amount of damage every turn until you put it out. Why is that different from my rules? Demons. They're just weird. Thanks for that, Matt. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, my my first impressions of fire in a lot of these games is that it's uh, chronically underpowered. Um, the risk from fire seems to be very, very low indeed. I mean, particularly even with the rules that you you quote from, uh, yeah, you know, from from the mysterious game. Um, yes. An intensity of six means you roll six dice, and then it goes out if you don't get any damage. Yeah. And so bear in mind... It's going to go out, isn't it? I mean, it's not... It's yeah, not the gonna... chances are you're not going to get any sixes. Well, no, the chances are very slim that you're going to get one six. So you may get one point of damage mm. uh, or not. It might just go out straight away. And it, yeah. that feels to me like if you're caught in a room on fire, really it should be more than that. Um, when I was working out the sort of chances of getting damaged by a demon... Uh, Seven dice, I worked out, was a one in ten chance of getting damaged. And and that's not just one dice, because, of course, you're wearing armour. You can use armour against fire. Uh, so I was... That one in ten chance is getting three successes on seven dice. Yeah, I've, I've never been convinced with the, the rule that f- armour protects you from fire unless it's, like, fireproof, retardant Yeah, outfit. I, I went yeah. back and forth over that one. Um Part of me was thinking, well, surely steel armour in Forbidden Lands would just get really hot and burn you and it wouldn't be very good. Um, but then I thought, oh, sorry, I can't be bothered to um, <laughs> sort of create case rules for that. That's um, the attitude, Matt. Well done. Sorry, I can't be bothered. <laughs> well, well, no, done. I think, no, we're looking for the beauty of the, the Year Zero system is relative simplicity in play. And when you start Indeed. saying, yeah. well, you can roll against, you can roll armor against arrows, but you can't roll it against fire. What do you do when it's a fire arrow and stuff like that? I thought, so, yeah, yeah, let's just That's let fair enough. roll against armor. But I do feel, like you, that fire itself is underpowered. Now, this new mystery game of theirs, it, it, you know, it talks about intensity, and I like that word, but it just six just doesn't seem very intense. And I first no. felt that with um, reading about quote, wildfire in Gen Lab Alpha. You know, if you're caught on a... I, I work for the National Trust. We have wildfires on our moorland. It's pretty damn serious. There was a fire burning for days just just this week on Ilkley Moor. 60 yeah. firefighters working to put it out. Luckily, oh. you know, nobody was caught in it, but if they were, I bet they weren't rolling 60 of damage. No. And then having it go out when they didn't yeah. take any damage. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a thing, I mean... You you could imagine you know, a situation where you are you fall into a fire, but you're able to immediately get out of it if it's not a very intense fire. Then that, yes. that's kind of fair enough. You're not going to die from that if you can get up and get out of it straight away. You might be a bit singed and a bit sore, but you're not. Go- it's not going to kill you. Um, but then there is a the thing about you know wildfires are so you know are a different level of intensity. They would need a lot more dice. Yes. Um, and also, if there was some kind of accelerant involved, so if there was napalm or petrol, well, that's then it. So I've that's got going to change the dynamic entirely, isn't it? 
in my rules, I've got the fact that uh, all these fires, uh, that they they increase in intensity turn after turn. So it starts off at six, but then it's seven, and then it's eight. Cause uh, it, is there a limit? Oh, I don't think there is a limit yet. Well, the limit is when you get out of the bloody thing, because, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I did think there is a thing, actually, you talk about accelerants, but also about fuel. So... I was thinking if you, you know, it, it wouldn't have been a long drawn out battle. And obviously the Griffin was trying to escape from the fire after you'd trapped him in there. But at some point, all that wood in the Griffin's nest is going to be used and then the fire is going to subside. But not really in terms of uh, the time scale you're talking about in play. So actually, no. I think there probably isn't a limit. If, you, if you'd walked into that fire with the Griffin, then I think it would have gone... Uh, as I say, one extra attack dice every time you roll. Um, yeah. And you'd be then crispy fried pretty quick. That's fair enough. Is, um, is, is there a crit rating for fire in any of the games where it Well, there is, rating? yes. In Coriolis, fire has a crit rating of one. So that right. does make the fire in Coriolis more effective. Because, you know, yeah. okay, it might only be rolling two sixes. Uh, so you might only be rolling six dice. But if you get two sixes, then you're taking a crit. And as we all know in Coriolis, if you take a crit, <laughs> you might die. Yes, crits equal dead. Yeah, so there is that yeah. in Coriolis. That's Coriolis's saving grace. Um, because, yeah. of course, you know the number of hit points you get in Coriolis is roughly twice what you get in most of the other games. Yeah. So you're yeah. pretty resilient otherwise. Mm. Um, but yeah, just come back to Accelerance. Because uh, I didn't talk about that, but I think it is important. So... You used a bottle of aged wine in fighting that griffin. <laughs> and I gave you an, an, an extra point. I, you know, I was making those rules up as I went along. but I did think, I think... you were very generous at the time. because I've, I've never lit fire to a bottle of wine in my life. <laughs> not, that I've, not that I've tried, but I've never considered it to be a risk. <laughs> it's really old, really old uh, and expensive wine. So I'm sure it's quite, quite flammable. <laughs> but, but yeah, proper thankfully. accelerants. Like, um, like we're talking about Coriolis again. You know, there might be areas where there's an enormous amount of oxygen. That fire is going to burn more intensely yes. there than yep. a, quote, normal fire. Or indeed petrol or anything that you might stick on a fire in some of these games. Yeah, yeah. Good good piece. Thank you, Matt. And when it comes to the mystery game, of course, the exact mystery will be revealed in a little while. In but, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Before we do that, <laughs> should we talk about a rebrand? Yes, let's do that. Go ahead. So uh, you may have noticed that your feed looks different if you've uh, subscribed to the feed. You may have seen that the Coriolis effect is now the effect podcast. Um, and With a, with uh, a K, spelt the Swedish way. Spelt the Swedish way. We've been hinting at this uh, previously. We've, we've talked about um, looking for our new host and stuff and reassuring you that effect is spelt with a K. In, in our language. And we're making that pretty permanent now. So you, you, you've probably seen all our social media change to the new brand. It doesn't mean that the content's changing or rather it's reflecting the broadening of the content that we've done over the last couple of years. Yeah. It's also reflecting our aspirations to do things other than just podcast. Yes. And shall yeah. we talk a little bit about some of that? Okay, well, let's let's just before we move on to that, let's just say that the the Effect Podcast has also now got a new email address, and mm. we'd love you to to tell us what you think about the show, what you think about the rebrand, what you think about what we've put on. Just 
you know, and it doesn't even need to be nice. We'll count it as supportive <laughs> criticism if you if you tell uh, us stuff. But if you want to write to us, do write to us at feedback at effectpodcast.org. And remember, effect is spelt with a K. Effect podcast yeah. is all one word. So uh, if you want to support us that way, do just send us a comment. But if you want to support us another way as well, we are now officially launching our Patreon. You're stunned. Stunned into silence, Dave. <laughs> I thought you were going to do a bit of a fanfare, so I was trying not to talk over you. I, I don't do fanfares. I'm not at all musical. But yeah, our Patreon um, uh, is... Well, we're officially launching it now. We did actually sort of start it. So a few supporters have Thank you very already much. discovered it. Thank you very much. We'll, be, we'll probably be giving you your official shout-out in our next programme uh, after your money's come in, because so far everyone's pledged money. <laughs> But nothing's been taken from their credit accounts. But let's just mm. say, uh, uh, particularly to our, uh, what I like to think of them as our sort of um, founding supporters. Uh, yes, founding absolutely. patrons in a way. Um, so let's just give them another informal shout out for for having the gumption to seek out the podcast and and to uh, to pledge at all sorts of different levels. So we've got five of them. Five of them already. I think last time you and I spoke, it was only four. But it was. We've gone up to five. Uh, we've got Andy Brick. Um, hey, Andy. Who, Woo. We have mentioned on this program, he's an old friend of ours. So it's really nice to see him um, uh, chipping in. Uh, our very first one, though, was Frederick Venberg. So uh, he, he, he broke our Patreon cherry, and I'm especially <laughs> grateful for him for doing so. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you so we much. We've got Pete Taylor, Peter Taylor as well. Okay, uh, we've got Phil Massey, and we have got Rickard. Just Rickard. Uh, he hasn't given me his surname. Uh, so they're our first five um, patrons. Thank you very much to all of you for um, well, listening in the first place, liking what we're doing, and liking it enough to, to want to give us a bit of uh, you know real material support. We really appreciate it. Um, we're not in this for the money, but yeah. it's... Um, it's it's great to get a bit of support like that. So thank you very much to our our founding patrons. Thank you guys. And already, um, uh, what these guys have promised will will pay for our monthly hosting fees. So we've already passed out my my first target for what I wanted to get out of this, <laughs> and um, we're on to our second target. But also, it's worth pointing out that there's three different levels you can pledge at. Um, and if you pledge at uh, stationary or privileged level, that's uh, five or ten dollars it all happens in american money because obviously patreon's an american company then you get the level that also includes access to our next project and that is tales from the old west that is tales of the old west did i say from the old west you did i did yeah. Tales of the Old West. You haven't even got the, nothing of this to go back. You can see now why we weren't quite so keen on the Ballad of the Pistolero uh, <laughs> earlier on. Exactly. Competition. I mean, we are a long way away from getting to a position where this is uh, ready to go. Um, yes. But it's a, it's a year zero hack uh, using some of Midian Lands and some Coriolis elements. Adding a few yeah. bits of our own to some of the mechanics to... To try and spin up a gritty, uh, hard-hitting, um, but sort of generational Western game that 
Uh, you can play at any time in the West. Uh, you can play different styles of campaign. You could do a, a wagon train going across uh, across the continent, or you can set yourself in a town and do something a bit more uh, a bit more focused, a bit more traditional in, in role-playing terms. Yeah, I think what we're working towards at the moment in terms of this first sort of iteration of the game is to recreate the feel of Deadwood. Would you say that's yeah. right? Yeah, that's um, absolutely right, yeah. And it kind of came out of the fact that I we like Legends and Adventurers, the, the supplement that comes with um, Forbidden Land so much for its quick sort of backstory generation. And I was thinking um, in the Wild West, you'd, you'd need a pretty quick character generation system as well because it's going to be pretty deadly when the pistols come out. There's no armour in that game, after all. Um and uh, sort of so riffing on what would legends and adventures look like for for westerns. Uh, originally, uh, we set up a document called Legends of the Old West, and then we found out there's another game called Legends of the Old West already. So, um, um, well, I just hang on a second there, Matt. Um, uh, we've been doing a bit of playtesting, and I've been playtesting for a little while. And one of the things that we have found is that the character generation, while it's still quite involved and quite uh, brings quite a lot of background to it it's not as quick as the legends and adventurers character generation in forbidden lands so it takes probably mm. depending how on how much well dep- depending on how long or how deeply the the player wants to think into what they're what they're randomly generating um t- 20 minutes maybe 30 um if you're going to do that so we've we've randomly generated seven characters and um yeah, I think that's probably a, probably a, a good average to go with. We can slicken up the process a bit. There are things we're learning from the playtesting, obviously, which mm. will make it a bit quicker. But it's not. I don't want to give our listeners the wrong impression that it's, uh, it's super it's, quick. It's, okay, it's super quick. No, because it because well, twenty not. minutes I can live with. You have added something which you told me about, and I haven't actually looked at it yet. But I was immediately thinking, oh, that's another level. I don't want it to be. I don't want to slow it down. So, um, so yeah, we're, we'll 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 look at making it slicker. But actually, twenty minutes is is fine. I think probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and it it does give quite a lot of background. I mean, there's there's yeah. quite a lot of 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 stuff in there that builds up your character. And for me as a GM, um, I added the, 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 the random family generation bit, which is That's the part the you're thing. talking about, yeah. which I think does need, we do need to work on it a bit to make it a bit better. Cause I've done a very simplified version that was very quick, but as a, as a, as a GM uh, in a Western setting, Westerns are all about uh, in one sense, family and about building your legacy and about, staking your place in the land and that nearly always involves family and i felt a bit of a void when i'd rolled up the first characters that they they appear with no family background whatsoever um they've got personal background and maybe well, they're, then you know, we what, know what their father did as well don't we know we? What, we know what their father did but we don't know whether their father is still alive whether he you know uh, none of that so mm. i added this le- this little bit in takes a couple of minutes to give the gm and the player that little bit of extra uh, sort of depth that I felt it needed um, because we want to give a game that feels like you're in the Wild West. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be people doing beastly things to other people. It's going to be about breaking the ground and making a new life for yourself and all the risks that that entails. Uh, yeah. It's going to be gritty. It's going to be hard. It's going to be so more far. about the tension before the guns come out 
than about when the guns come out. Although when the guns come out, it's going to be pretty deadly. Absolutely. And the the, the playtest we did the other day is a really good example where um, there was a gunfight between two NPCs and the players were desperately trying to stop one of them being involved in the gunfight and protect him. So actually, they weren't involved in the fight at all, other than mm. trying to stop it without killing the other guy. And it, it was a nice touch, because there was action, there was gunplay, but it wasn't gunplay that uh, they were directly involved. They were, they were involved in another, with, in, a different, in a different angle to that particular incident, which worked really nicely. Cool. Well, of course, so, I think the, the, you know, the interesting thing will be that um, uh, very shortly... Uh, our uh, patrons, our, our uh, stationary and privileged patrons, will get a chance to have a look at uh, what we've produced and give their own feedback as well. Um, Absolutely, I think the, really the, look forward to that. And the first thing I think we're, we we've got all sorts of systems uh, cropping up for all sorts of bits of it, but I think we're close to um, being able to share uh, the the character generation system. So that might be the first bit that we send out, and we'll. Send it out as a bit of a part work, a bit every month, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's so. a good idea. We we do need to do a bit of work to, uh, I think, slicken up some of that character generation and make it just a bit, uh, a bit quicker. But yeah. we're not far off. You're right. I think we a bit of work, and we'll have that in a position to put out on our, uh, on our feeds. Okay, shall Let's we move on to the move big on thing? To the main event. Yeah, exactly. Um, should we just shut up and let the interview tell us? What's going on? Oh, yeah, because you, you blow it all in the first stage of the interview as well, don't you? I do. Yeah. Okay, well, let's okay. listen to us talking to Thomas Harrenstem and Nils Carlian of the Free League. With yesterday's really exciting announcement that Free League is going to publish the Alien RPG. I mean, I mean, Alien, one of the best sci-fi worlds ever by one of the best modern games companies there is. This is going to be something extra special. But with that announcement, I'm delighted to welcome Thomas Herrenstam and Nils Kailin from the Free League onto the show today to try our, one, calm me down a bit, and two, talk all about it. So welcome, Thomas and Nils. It's great to chat with you guys, as always, and have you on the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks. Good it's, to be back. It sounds like you've been busy. It's been really busy, and it's been kind of a weird situation where the project that we've been working on the hardest in the last, I don't know, six months. I mean, the project's been going longer than that, but for the last six months, it's really been our complete focus and not right. really being able to tell anyone or talk about it. That's <laughs> So this feels good. I mean, I mean, get, I mean, getting this chance, I mean, this is a big, big opportunity, isn't it? And this is really exciting. I mean, perhaps the biggest thing for Free League so far. I mean, where did this idea come from and how have you guys managed to pull it off? Well, uh, it's interesting. I, I'm not even sure we really know <laughs> ourselves, but but yeah, I mean, <laughs> how, exactly how we did it. But but this is kind of the way it pl played out. We actually had a discussion. Uh, yeah, it's a bit... bit one year ago? Yeah, a bit more. It was in the winter, so one and a half years ago about, where we just had a, sort of a brainstorm session about what if we were doing a like a big licensed game, what what license would we want the most? And that was just a very open discussion. And we sort of, because we felt that uh, we we want, for Freely, we want a combination of our own games with our own worlds and our own IPs like Simba Room and Forbidden Lands. Uh, but we also really like working with uh, others in partnerships for and, and in that sense, doing license projects. And so we had mm -hmm. this brainstorm about what would be like the dream license 
license game for us to do. And we had a, ended up with a very a short list of, I believe, five licenses. And they were all like, you know, dream things that we would love to do. And uh-huh. Alien was uh, on that list. Uh, it was at the top, right? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, one of the top two. Yeah. Uh, we won't go hmm. into the others because you know they might, might pop up some possibly happen. So we were- I was going to say I was <laughs> yeah. sitting here biting my tongue, stopping myself, <laughs> ask the question, yeah. what was what were the for? Yeah, yeah, we'll have to get back to that. Uh, you know, just but, but but after that, and it was a bit of a uh, coincidence because just a few days later, I happened to have lunch with uh, people that, and, and just by happenstance like we, we started discussing a guy came up uh, his name is Joel Lafavi he runs a business in Hollywood called Genuine Entertainment and he sort of works as a brand manager and he sort of knows his way around Hollywood and studios and has been brokering mm. these kinds of kinds of licensing deals so the guy I lunched with uh, who, who worked with Paradox at the time he, he put us in, in me into touch with Joe and it turned out that Joe was like a super fan of the Tales from the Loop game uh, Tales from the Loop RPG uh-huh. And he was like, you know, so we just sort of found each other immediately and he really wanted to work with us and he seemed to be like the perfect person for us to help us, you know, secure, uh, you know, these licenses. So we started talking about this and we, I sort of showed him the shortlist and, um, and uh, we all agreed that for a number of different reasons, Alien was like the perfect thing to, to try to go for. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's really where it started. And then he started sort of on our behalf uh, discussing with uh, 20th Century Fox and putting us in touch with the right people. And of course, it was a bit of a process. It took a few months until, but then, you know, we uh, ended up signing uh, a licensing uh, agreement with them for uh, an alien role-playing game. Oh, well, it, it's, well, it's remarkable. It's brilliant. I mean, it's, uh, uh, yeah, and and I, have, I say that, you, you've got a new writer credited on you with this, um, Andrew Gasker. Yeah. Who, who I guess is um, has got a uh, sort of long track record with writing canon material for things like Aliens with Fox already. Yeah, he's uh, he's been a franchise consultant for Fox on Alien and then uh, a few other franchises as well. And uh, it was actually Joe who put us in touch with Drew. And and uh, Drew is, I mean, we're all Alien fans, and we know, you know, we're pretty deep into the lore ourselves but but drew is on another level i mean he's he sort of lives and breathes this stuff so we approached him uh to do to write setting material for the game and and uh, we also sort of hit it off really well so that's what's going on uh that's sort of started happening and um yeah that's sort of how, how we started working with with drew uh on this project as well and he's been involved in in helping you get the setting right, rather than involvement with the the rules. And what I guess also making sure that you you don't break canon without authority. Is that the? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I uh, mean, we have of... a partner, uh, sort of part. We're, we have a um, on the on the Fox side also. There are people sort of you know that we submit stuff to, and they sort of make sure it's all canon and sort of lives up to their standards and and all of that. But Drew is a really good person to have on the team, and Joe as well because they know. They know Fox, they know the franchise, they know the people there, and of course they they know Alien really well. So I mean, they have been like perfect mm. partners uh, for us on this project. Whereas our main job on on our end, of course, we're also interested in the setting, of course, but but we have been we have like on my side been doing the I mean the rules, uh, graphic design, the art, and getting sort of everything together. So we've sort of been building the game, but. 
but the detailed setting has been uh, mainly Drew's job. Mm. Now, I, I will come to the game bits in the mo- in a moment. Though. Okay. I've got loads of things I want to ask you about that because um, having been lucky enough, thank you to to see an advance uh, copy of the starter. Um, I immediately saw Martin Grips hand in the artwork and uh it, it's absolutely great but but one more thing about the uh, the sort of the the u.s angle i mean free league is has been breaking into the u.s market with the success of games like tales from the loop but with this uh step up as it were is this the day you smash the u.s market or is this the day where you look back and say we've got that you know we're really breaking in there now? maybe yeah we'll see hopefully sure we hope as well with this franchise that um, it's a franchise that can uh, can attract people that normally don't uh, encounter our games, maybe. Uh, a little bit like Tism Loop found an audience outside our circles. Uh, I think that Alien might mean be very attracted to people that are just into that setting, uh, not necessarily familiar mm. with our games. I think this uh, no. will be obviously an RPG book, but I think actually the way it looks and that's the rich setting material that we have and all that. I think even you, if you're an alien fan, I think you'll enjoy this book, even if you're not even an, a role player, even though it's, of course, a game. But I think it can have a pretty wide appeal. Yeah. And it's funny because yeah. uh, we, yeah. we're working with the Martin and, and Christian on the uh, visual side of things. And it's, it's pretty nice because, for example, we just uh, put the finishing touches on uh, the star map for, for mm. the universe. And this is something that this ha- it has never been like a real like, canon star map. There has been some stuff floating around on the internet, which is like semi-official. Um, and it's mm. it's funny. I mean, we, of course, have to talk to the right people and make sure that everything is as correct as possible. But it also, I mean, just the notion of maybe forming a little bit of the canon for the alien universe, we're not sure, but maybe, is pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I remember West End Games sort of putting West End Games ended up creating yeah. a lot of Star Wars canon, uh, didn't they? Um yeah. I'm assuming as you say everything has to go um you know for to Fox for approval. Um have there been any issues with I'm thinking Martin Grips are is looking fabulous in the preview document you sent us. Uh, are, surely they're falling in love with it as much as as much as we are, but um, did they raise any objections to anything that's been produced so far? You don't need to tell us what. Well, actually, so far it's been really good, uh, really good cooperation. I mean, I can't go into every detail, but but overall, it's been a very, very, you know, they've been very easy to work with, and they've been having very few, you know, problems, if any, really. So, I mean, we're super happy about that part of things that's been going really well. And it's an interesting thing. I mean, I've I've been a big fan of the Alien franchise from well, nineteen whatever it was when I first saw the, the the original movie, but it's one of those where you don't really, or I haven't, uh, sort of had in my mind what the universe looks like in everything else. You know, Star Wars, Star Trek, or the rest of it. You know where everything is, whereas Alien seems to focus much more on that on the kind of the horror of the moments rather than on the the wider story. And it's it's one of the things that I love about the franchise is its versatility. You know, each new film taking the basic "there's a nasty alien, deal with it" question in in lots of different directions. Um, how do you how do you see the game sort of helping ca- maintain that flexibility and versatility of sort of uh, sort of narrative? Yeah, it's experience? a good question, and it's you. We com- completely agree that that 
the alien movies have been very focused. I mean, they're, they're like you say, they're very then and there. They're not really describing the universe. They're describing the situation at, in on that spaceship at that particular time. But yeah. I think, and that's one of the cool things about the RPG is that we get a chance to tie these things together and expand them and really sort of, you <laughs> know, show, not, if not create, but at least compile and show the universe, and uh, uh, which is really cool. But I think as your second question, how to sort of approach these two things, and really we have two game modes in this game, and I think that's a key thing, that the horror, the sort of short focused experience, the horror experience, like in the movies is something we do with something we call cinematic scenarios and they are very focused. They are very then and there. They yep. can even be placed in different times and different locations. Uh, we do have a now date for the game, but, but you can have cinematic scenarios placed at basically any time, the 400 year timeline that the alien movies sort of work in. And they are really focused. You have pre-gen mm. characters and they sort of, you play then and there it's focused in on action, horror, very intense uh, gaming experiences. And then you have the cinematic, the, sorry, the, the other game mode is called the campaign mode. And in the campaign mode, you, it's much more of a sandbox game where you sort of explore the universe and sort of see what's actually there. So by doing these two separate game modes, we try to sort of capture these two parts of the, of the franchise. Yeah, I think that works really nicely. And I, I love the idea of the cinematic one-shot game where... Uh, you know, it's uh, yeah. you know there will be winners and losers. Um, it's 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 a really interesting concept that uh, you know across role playing games, you know people have done their own versions of one shots and they would have winners and losers. But this is kind of perhaps the first time we've seen mm. actually in the rule system, um, you know, you know the the, the design is making it easy for the players to do that, and also having a game where there is a definite winner and a definite loser was there was there anything sort of behind that that um you're, you're thinking yeah, behind I mean, that? that's part of the thing specifically in cinematic scenarios that there will be some amount of player versus player i mean it's not all about that but they can that can definitely happen and that was something we discussed a lot and also play tested quite a bit and that because that is a tricky thing in rpgs where when when characters turn against each other it's not really it can get messy and in the hard to play. So we had to structure that in yeah. particular ways. And one way to do that is to have, you have the scenarios divided into three acts. And in each act, you have a new personal agenda for each character. I love that. And that means you can sort of, you can save that really sort of hard, yeah. hard PVP stuff to the last act so that it doesn't all collapse at the beginning because that happened during places <laughs> to yeah, it happened big time. <laughs> Yeah, so we, <laughs> stuff like that, and uh, but so it's a balanced thing. It's a tricky thing, but I think it's uh, the way it think. I think it works now. But you have to sort of, if you're going to play as, a, I mean, not all cinematic scenarios need to have player versus players, but some definitely will. So that's something to be a bit prepared for. That you, you, it can turn ugly at the end, and and probably not all characters will get out alive. No, and it's also, it feeds into the paranoia aspect of, of the setting and the, the stories that, I mean, in the end, maybe you can only trust yourself to survive. And that's something that feeds into the horror aspect. It's pretty nice thing. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, uh, it doesn't have, you don't have to have any PVP. You, everyone might be on the same page, but you never know until you're safe. Mm. Well, I love the idea that you you have the you have the agenda for each character for each segment of the game, and every other character will know that everyone else has got an agenda, but they won't know what it is, and it might not be a threatening or a dangerous one for them. It might be one they would wholeheartedly agree with, but actually, like you say, the yep. paranoia of just not knowing, 
Um, uh, it's a is really it nice a touch. sort yeah, of like game you think much. where the GM should prep his players for that in advance, though, and, and explain that uh, not only is not everybody likely to get out alive, but it might all um, turn really dreadful in the third act? Or it, I th- do, do you surprise players with it, do you think? <laughs> I think it, it's probably wise to... to prepare your players that there can be an element of, of, of PvP and you can have agendas that will go against the interests of other characters because it's at least that that it's a possibility. I think it's it, it's good. And it's also mentioned in, in the player-facing sections of the book as well that this is something that can happen. So I do think it's a good idea to, to let players know that this is at least, you know, a possibility. It doesn't necessarily going to happen, uh, but it can. One other mode that you have that you use in the game is the stealth mode, which, uh, again, I think is a really nice touch and a really nice way of helping GMs encourage that look and feel of Ripley crawling around the Nostromo or uh, Newt trying to escape um, in Hadley's Hope. Yeah, that's actually something that we uh, introduced after a couple of playtests where we realised that we needed to because that was sort of a big thing that kind of where you sort of move slowly trying to sort of you're stopped by some you know xenomorph uh, creature or something else then you sort of try to sort of slowly carefully move through the spaceship or colony or whatever and and we realized we needed a, a way to actually structure that a bit more rules wise so that's sort of where we ended up uh, we tried a couple of different versions. The uh, first one had a lot more crunch to it. I think the one we landed in is fairly rules light, but it's still a way to structure uh, that kind of movement where you're sneaking, trying to avoid whatever is stalking you and that kind of thing. And it, it, it's a way to structure the game that I think works well with what we see in the movies. And it also works well with the maps that we have created for the game because this part of the stealth mode is, is kind of a map-based mm. gameplay. Also, I think it it's, it's, um, emphasizes yeah. um, the importance of avoiding conflict and, and combat in this game because this game, uh, if you meet uh, some kind of xenomorph, yeah. it can turn very deadly very, very quickly. And, and so one of the, the main uh, points of driving home the, the stress and horror is actually to just fear what is out there and trying to avoid it. Uh, and that's what... I think the stealth uh, mode is trying mm. to do. If I don't know if you played the the computer game Alien Isolation, uh, that's very much yes. That, yeah. that was the game we looked at uh, <laughs> how they did uh, the, the whole sneak part because they in that game you always try to avoid the alien. If you, if you face the alien, I mean that's a, you have a big problem. You probably will die, and it's something like that here as well. Well, I remember many times um, reloading the same bit and trying to stalk past the alien. Uh, uh, and just getting slaughtered every time and then getting quite frustrated at the end. And the thing I love about the stealth mode is uh, when I was reading the the part of the, the starter about it, that it, it kind of reflects what you as a GM often try and do, which is about that you're being stalked by something. But the thing that really struck me was running that as a GM, you run it for the moment when the stalking stops and the attack happens. In this mode, you kind of the attack is the last, you know, is the last element. You're running it for the stalking rather than from the actual combat at the end, which I really liked. That that yeah, feel I think of, that's, of how it works. That's, that's the intention, and and like Niels mentioned, that in this is a horror game to a large extent, and and the horror works actually best before the conflict erupts. I mean, the tension is is the highest right yes. before, because then when you're in combat, sure that can be, you know, but then it's sort of 
you want to save that moment before the conflict as long as you can. What I, what I really wanted to talk about, though, is the um, is uh, the, your push mechanic. I, I love the different push mechanics in all the different games. I love Prayer in Coriolis. I love taking damage in Forbidden Lands and Mutant. This has got a different push mechanic, and it's quite an exciting one. One I think I'm already in love with, and I haven't even played it yet. I've just read it. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, this is we we decided fairly early on that we wanted a, a, a you know a version of the Gear Zero engine for this game as well, uh, because we think it's a versatile system and that it's been working well uh, for us so far. But then we also realized that this really had to be a system that put the themes of of Alien to the forefront. And we sort of looked at other games, how they were doing similar things, and we sort of had a really, you know, fairly long discussions and tests for this. And and the, what we really wanted to sort of emphasize was the stress and fear and the rising tension and how that could sort of explode into a, you know, fit of panic, but it won't do it right away. So sort of this kind of thing where tension builds as you play. So. This is uh, this, the way the system works now, is that every time you push, your stress level increases and you actually get a stress die, an, an extra die to roll, which will mean you will actually be more effective when stressed. You will actually be more sharp, more sort of likely to actually succeed. But the stress dies also have, if you roll a one of those, you trigger a panic roll, which can send you a panic, you know, a few different panic effects. Mm -hmm. So basically, the more tension rises, it will actually get sharper, more effective, but also increase the risk of boiling over and just going into a wild panic, which is a nice balancing in when we when you actually play because you it's a very nice physical representation when you when your stress increases you get another stress die another stress die and it sort of builds up and it builds up and you know it's like a twenty one or blackjack thing where you know you just it increases and then you know at some point it's just going to explode and you just don't know <laughs> when and how far you're going to be able to push it. So it's uh, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, and you it. get stressed eye for um, for seeing horrific things. Uh, one particular one that I love yeah. is when you use automatic fire. You get stressed eye for using automatic fire. Um, uh, what what other things do you get stressed eyes for? Uh, a couple of different things. I mean, pushing rolls, uh, seeing you know being being attacked by you know some uh, alien creature or something else. Uh, like you mentioned, fully automatic fire. Some specific, um, one thing that's also worth mentioning here, I think, is the sort of cascade stress effect. You can actually, if another player, another character near you triggers a panic effect, your stress will increase as well. So you can sort of affect each other. If one, one character gets stressed out or panics, all of the others will also be more stressed out. So that's, that's also an important thing, I think. I think that's good because it shows yeah. the growing stress of the group rather than just one person <laughs> yeah. going off the deep end while everyone else is chilling out and taking it easy. Yeah, I really like that. I also like some of the um, the outcomes of panicking. And um, when I was reading through the list you have there that you, you roll randomly for or you, you roll your, your dice to see how badly you panic. Um, I had an immediate image. If you if you panic really badly, you can you, can, you kind of become berserk. And I had an image of Hudson in Aliens when he's just before he's killed, going berserk and saying, come yep. on, come on, come on, until one of them comes up and kills him. I thought it just fit, fitted really, really well, just immediately brought these bits to mind uh, of the movies, which, uh, you know, I think you've done a really good job in um, in evoking 
you know, yeah, the, I mean, the alien sort of, feel sort of, in, in every what you've sort done of here. result on a table like that. We sort of had to go through it and think like, okay, would this be a kind of thing that would happen in an alien movie? And if it was, then it, it stayed in. And if it wasn't, it, it had to go. So every mm -hmm. kind of thing like that really needed to fit in the feel of, of the franchise. Another thing, another example is in the first movie, I think it's, is it Lambert or is that the second one? Anyway, uh, one of the crew is cornered by an alien in uh, in the ship, and she she can't move. She just yes. stares at it, and uh, and, and um, uh, the yeah. other guys try to wants to flame it, the alien, but but she won't move. And that's another thing that's in the table. You just yeah. freeze. You can't do anything. So capture things like that. Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, that was that was Lambert being uh, just before yeah. Yeah. Uh, Parker yeah. got himself killed, trying not to kill her. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, really good. Um, I, I know it's kind of early days, but do you have any thoughts of how the Alien RPG we certainly have um, some might plans. develop I mean, in the future? The plan is to sort of develop the game in along two tracks, which is the cinematic and the campaign track. So for the cinematic side, we're planning more cinematic scenarios, so full cinematic scenarios included in the core game. And more of those uh, are planned as well. And they're standalone for the most part because they're with pre-generated characters and they usually... Act as I mentioned, you usually not all of them will survive. So they're sort of standalone, but we're also uh, thinking that we'll combine them in longer narratives, uh, not with the same characters, but still events and, and items and characters from one can carry on into another. So we sort of tied them together. Loose campaigns so rewarding the players for, for mm. being involved in all of them in order. So they're callbacks to things that happened in yeah. previous adventures. I see. Yeah, and also, for example, if the players, if they have a mission and they succeed in that mission, they, that might affect the setup of the next cinematic scenario as opposed to if they mm. fail. So uh, the, the, it will be have a cause and effect thing. Yeah, even though mm. the characters are actually other people, but still it's sort of having a knock-on effect on the next, the next scenario. And then we have the campaign track uh, where we're planning campaign books. Interesting. We have three campaign concepts from uh, in the core game that we sort of focus on and describe and it's the space truckers you can sort of like a starship crew uh, like in the first movie then you have the marines and then you have stores and colonists so they have like three different themes three mm -hmm. campaign concepts and we're planning like probably to have expansions for campaign play that focus specifically okay. on each of those three so that's what we're thinking about the campaign play yeah and mm. they will be more like uh, toolboxes where you can uh, use different parts and it can expand the setting and more like going around in the universe and and do missions and see stuff uh, so they're they're less focused and more open world so but i think they can complement each other pretty pretty nicely yeah so and presumably in terms of each of those their campaign styles uh you know the players will be able to play kind of a full range of characters from, you know, your Ripley style to your Carter yes. Burke corporate bloke to, uh, yeah, a, you know, a different range of sort of archetypes. Yeah, that's that, the idea. Uh, There's a number of, in the movies. I think, eight uh, character archetypes in the core game, and we might add more later. But, the, yeah, you would probably recognize sort of where they're inspired from. Uh, so we have, cool. yeah, you can play your Burke, you can play your Ripley, I mean, or that kind of character. You can play your Newt. <laughs> it's the crew of the Betty. Are the crew of the Betty going to be in the core game or are they going to be in an expansion game? <laughs> Good question. I mean, uh, that, 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 since this is something that's kind of interesting or worth mentioning maybe, is that we have a now date for our game that is 2183. 
was where we landed. So we sort of that are now, and that's sort of where we are in in terms of the timeline. And this is uh, four years after. So what was? Yeah, it's, where it's, does that fit uh, in the, what does that fit in the movies? Aliens, four years after also Alien Three, because they are basically happening very close to each other in in the timeline. Uh, but it's long, long, long before the long Betsy, right. before Alien, the Betsy yeah. and the Alien Four. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that's so it's uh, like I think the gap in the timeline is something like two hundred years. Yeah, it's, it's another. So that's almost another universe in a sense. So, <laughs> so we're yeah. our era we're focusing on is is right after Aliens it's and classic. It's, it's <laughs> the classic era. It's like a, couple, a number of decades after the first movie, but still in that kind of era. Uh, so that's why the Betsy is probably not going to be part of, as far as, I mean, we could definitely do that at some point, do like an expansion that focused on another era, but the core game will be in 2183. Yeah. I can live with that. I can live with that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm really excited. I think this is, this is, this is fabulous. And, and when, when we were finally allowed to know what it was, I thought, yes, that's really good. Alien. What a great thing to take forward. Brilliant. Um, so looking forward, we've got the UK Games Expo in uh, the last weekend of May, first weekend yep. of June coming up uh, in Birmingham here in the UK. Yeah, we are. And um, you guys are going to be there. Yeah. We're going to be there with you as well, which is going to be great. Um, so for, our, for, for your fans who want to come and talk about this game and, and have a look at it, um, do you want to tell tell everyone a, a little uh, bit about sure. what you've I got mean, planned uh, for the you'll for the expo? Part of that as well, of course. So, but but the idea is, is you you have some say here. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but the idea is that by then, and about a bit over a month's time, we will have a fairly complete starter PDF. It's fairly comprehensive. I mean, you've seen the the current yeah. draft. Uh, it's it's not finished just yet, but it's going to be by then. Yep. And the idea is good. that there will be a chance to try out the game in short, in short demo, sort of survival style the, yeah, at the UK Games Expo. So if you're coming to Birmingham, you will have a chance to, you know, check out the, the, this starter uh, PDF of the game and also uh, try it out uh, firsthand. Yeah. It probably be the world premiere of trying the game. Actually. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And we're GMing it. That's great. That's the idea. And uh, yeah, so that's the idea. There will be a pre-order as well. Uh, we don't have the exact date set for that yet, though. But that's also coming along uh, in the not too distant future. Right. So, after, so your fans aren't going to have to wait too long to get uh, to get their hands on that. Uh, so yes. uh, the, no. the, there are some important things that actually I'm sure fans will be asking. It's not going to be a Kickstarter. It's going to be a pre-order. Is that right? That is right. Yes. We're not planning a Kickstarter for this game. It will be more of a regular pre-order. But the idea is that if you pre-order the game, you will also have access to the starter PDF uh, almost immediately. Right. Uh, right. So you have that as a sort of a good, uh, good incentive, we think, to, to pre-order the game because you get this. Because the full release will be at the end of the year, probably November. But if uh, if you pre-order, you'll get access to this comprehensive starter PDF. I think it's like 160 pages. Yeah. Uh, well, well ahead of that time. Yeah. So you can right. play instantly. Yeah. And it looks really good. I have to say, we keep saying this. It looks really good. <laughs> as always. Good. As always. <laughs> um, and the other question, I'm sure that a lot of, particularly your Swedish fans, are asking. Is this going to be in English only, or is there a Swedish version? There will not. We're not planning a Swedish version for this game. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, uh, we think. I mean, most of the games that we do in Swedish have some kind of Swedish 
history or other connection of some sort. This mm. doesn't really, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I think uh, we haven't, this is not something we have explored yet, but uh, many of our games have been translated into uh, other languages, you know. There are yeah. French and German and Spanish editions in, in, of our games, and, and this could potentially happen for a, for a, for Alien as well. We might license it to ourselves on the Swedish version. <laughs> 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 I mean, we can translate it either way. What we, what we would call it? I mean, it would be a very, very unwieldy word in, in Swedish. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And actually, that's a relief for us. That's something we've been sort of struggling with, doing games in two languages at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That gets, you know, so it actually that's sort of a, a bit of a relief this time to only focus on one language. Yeah, yeah. I just, one kind of, one last question, which you, you don't necessarily have to answer. Um, any predators? Ah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, I would boring say boring question, maybe, but no. I mean, I guess the short answer is no. <laughs> Fine. I, as uh, I said, maybe, I wasn't really expecting I, I, an answer. I didn't catch the question, so I'm just looking like a question like mark here. <laughs> any predators? I might, I might oh, okay, this. okay. No, <laughs> I thought you said any creditors. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> any predators? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hear that well, creditors are worse than predators, actually, aren't they? <laughs> Uh, no predators uh, yeah. currently planned, I, but I mean, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> but I wish I hadn't. I wish I hadn't asked the question. Alien uh, franchise, not 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 these the, the other ones. Yeah, but I think yeah. it's an interesting question because um, what we're trying to do with the game as well is kind of opening up the universe, so it's more threats out there than just the alien, because the alien is obviously the big one. But uh, yeah, we also want a game where you, you shouldn't expect to meet an alien in every adventure. Yeah, yeah I like so that. We're trying to do some new uh, so I noticed, you know, broadly speaking, the films have a US-centric world government or something, sort of US Marine Corps going out and doing that. Uh, whereas uh, already reading the book, we can see there's three sort of Earth geopolitical power blocks. Wayland yutani are actually... British Japanese in their origins, working in close cooperation with the US government on on all the uh, the colonies that we've found. But there are other corporate entities as well. So the it strikes me your campaign game is going to be very political r as well as horror, or sometimes instead of horror. Is that right? Yeah. There's also actually there's a socialist block called the UPP. Uh, Union of Progressive Peoples, which is actually from William Gibson's uh, draft script for Alien 3 that never ah, was published. Okay. So it's not just that, and it's, it's a common. Uh, it's all canon. Yeah. We didn't make this stuff up. No, so, so it's, yeah. but it's fun because there's a lot more to the setting than, than what's in the movies. Yeah. So this is, I think, yeah. is really the thing that, I mean, you get to sort of uh, to showcase this and explore these, these parts of the universe that you might not see at all if you just watch the movies no that's that's really mm. good because i'm you know i'm i'm very much a movie fan but i've not read well I've, I've read a few of the comics as well so um newt story is actually one of the things that i'm thinking we might base this survival game on um yeah and I'm, I'm now reading uh river of pain at your recommendation Nils. Uh, <laughs> so um but yes i was wondering about all those many draft scripts for alien 3 and alien 4 and what impact they'd have, and where you've got all these different power blocks from. So it's really good to hear 
that are actually coming out of all those different takes on the alien um the alien universe and molding it all into one whole yeah yeah and i think just to elaborate on the point nils made before that that, that you know a challenge with this game and in this ties into what we were just talking about is that every every scenario cannot have the same you know creature to face at the end so and that that yeah. means you have to sort of uh, have a bigger world and a more if you want to play campaign in this world it you it cannot all be about fighting an alien monster it has to have other other factions creatures things and that's sort of where that world building comes in to sort of give give the world more versatility and, and more breadth basically yeah i can actually mm. recommend another book while we're talking about that um it's called uh, aliens bug hunt uh, and it's 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 a short story collection which is based on the throwaway line from the aliens movie where, where they say is this going to be another stand-up fight or a bug yeah. hunt so someone thought we'll, we'll make a book about bug hunts but it's, so it's, this is no, so have, you, have, you got, have you got access to my um to my uh, amazon account because about two hours ago i ordered those two books <laughs> on amazon. Oh. <laughs> yeah that's a good one <laughs> no i haven't i haven't <laughs> but in that book uh, not everything is is excellent but some of it is really good and and i like that they take some liberties with the universe and introduce new threats uh, and uh, turn the tables there's particularly one short story which i won't spoil here which uh, completely turns expectations so uh, the the marines in that they're sent to explore something they face a threat uh, that you don't expect at all which is introduced mm -hmm. a new new kind of horror and i think there's, so there's lots of parameters you can play with in this universe to not make um, the unexpected too expected oh that's brilliant mm. That sounds excellent. Well, I think we've taken up enough of your time, gentlemen. It's been uh, a delight chat chatting to you as always. Uh, look forward to seeing you in the very near future. And um, all the best with the ongoing launch of the Alien RPG. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I hope to see you soon in Birmingham. Yep. We'll see, see you, you very soon. Um, there's a bit of history uh, as to how we got into the position to uh, have this great opportunity to chat to the guys. And um, Nils spoke to me a little while ago and invited Matt and I to the UK Games Expo as part yeah. of the, the Free League team um, in order just to help them out on the day. I think they just, you know, uh, you know, they, it was great of them to, to think of us uh, and yeah. invite us to help them just, just run the stall and be part of the Free League team. Uh, at the at the expo in uh, in Birmingham, yeah, we we after... were uh, uh, pleased and honoured to be invited. But yeah, I delighted. Think we Absolutely. had no idea at the time of the ulterior motive. We had we? no idea at the time at all. No, and um, uh, it was a short while afterwards, a few weeks later, that that Nils then um, came back to us with the uh, intriguing. Um, at that moment, anyway, yes. suggestion that there was this big new thing coming, and um, would we be willing to to run the demos for it at the at the expo for them? Which yeah. we went, okay, um, why, why not? Yeah. Wouldn't we do that? Y yes, sight unseen. We um, don't know what it is. Yeah, we're really keen and excited for it. So we spent a bit of whilst like um, speculating whilst we got some paperwork out of the way, um, and we were really pleased then to get get access to uh to yeah. the starter pack yeah so uh so i open the email and uh i look at what it is and of course he actually it's not just in the starter pack he explains finally what it is and i thought well dave's going to be really happy 
Because <laughs> <laughs> I know this is one of your favourite franchises. Uh, we've talked about Nemesis, the board game you bought, in an effort to have some sort of alien role-playing experience. Uh, and that now we've, we've got it. And... Um, and it's one of our favourite companies making it. Indeed, and and you know what they've done is really is really good. You know, the, we love the Year Zero engine. It works in so many different ways. They've changed it subtly. The the stress and the panic dynamic, <laughs> panic dynamic, um, that works really nicely from what I've seen. Um, we haven't played it yet, uh, but we're going to get a have a have a go of it um, with our group at some point. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I mean it, it's. Again, it's another thing that that they've done. I mean, I mean, this is this is the step into the big league for free league. Mm. Um, you know, getting a Fox licensing agreement. If they can deliver this, and uh, on the strength of the game and the strength of their aspirations, they surely can. Um, but if they could deliver this, then who knows what's next? They could, you know, um, the world could be their oyster. They, you know, this is a great, great step for for Thomas Nils Costa and everybody else at Free League. And I'm de- I'm delighted for them, and I'm also really delighted, and as you say, honoured to be kind of invited into the into the room with them to to help make it uh, make it work. And yeah, because it, we ought to say the thing they don't want us to do is run the quick start scenario that has already been developed and shared with us. No, um, no. Uh, for a start, we want to get as many people as possible uh, as want to uh, over the weekend to to get a chance to enjoy the game. So we've got to run something a bit shorter. And uh, they've asked us to, to, because partly I think because of what we did with the Grindburn tournament as well at Dragon yeah. Meat, uh, to, to put together a thing that gives you all the flavour of the game in a limited uh, amount of time. So yeah. we're working on yeah. that even as we speak. And Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, and that's great. I mean, being being invited to, to write the demo game uh, is brilliant. Um yeah, I mean, wow, great. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm almost. If I could be speechless, I would be speechless. But it's pretty yeah. rare. You said that something I'm speechless. like, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, when we started this podcast, uh, you had some pretty wild dreams about where it might go. Well, when we started the podcast, two nearly is it nearly? Well, it three? is. It is two is years three? ago, actually. Two, two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't. We didn't even know whether we'd get off the ground with the first podcast. No. I had this thought in my mind that yeah, you know, if we do well and we can uh, uh, we can we can build a following and we can make friends with some excellent game makers and some you know great people that uh, you know we might be able to get involved in the industry a little bit and mm. here we are getting involved in the industry a little bit it's brilliant uh, yeah but you I never can't. guessed then that it might be on one of your favourite franchises. <laughs> no, that's true. The only thing that could top it if it was if it had been the thing, yeah. if it had been the thing game, then I would have, uh, you know, well, I'd just given them all the stuff I've done on the thing before and say, there you go, publish that, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not, or maybe not. So, yeah. um, um, but yes, that brings us uh, to the, the end of this program, doesn't it? Well, the key thing, uh, last thing to say to everyone, if you want to have a look at this game, if you want to have a play of this game, get your Asses along to Birmingham, May the 31st to June the 2nd uh, at the NEC. Come and find the Free League stand. You'll find a sign-up sheet. Uh, I expect I expect this might be popular, so get in early to avoid disappointment. Um, yeah. But come along, see the Free League guys, see us, play Alien, have a great time. Cool. 
well, um, until next time, everybody, uh, thanks for listening. And it's goodbye for me. And goodbye from me. And me. And the, may the I... icons bless your adventures. Oh, I think yeah. so still. <laughs> still, yeah, we can't change that tagline, can we? No. <laughs> and may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Coriolis Effect, presented by Fiction Suit with the RPG Gods, with music by Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Imagery from NASA and the Hubble Space Telescope, brought to you by Wikimedia Commons. Typeface is code by Font Fabric. <laughs>